I'm Jamie Nye on a Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for joining us here on the Green Zone. A reminder, we'll see you tomorrow at the Nutana Curling Club in Saskatoon. I'll be uh, there for the show from 2 to 6 o'clock. Of course, the Tankard is underway. The Saskatchewan Men's Curling Championship in Saskatoon started at 2 o'clock this afternoon. They're all uh, finals in that one. Steve Laycock got a extra end win uh, today. You also have Kaltoff and McEwen with victories uh, ended after uh, eight ends with 8-2, 13-3 wins. And then draw number two goes tonight uh, with one of the top curlers in the country, Ryland Cleeter, and Kelly Knapp, the defending champion, on the ice tonight. And three draws tomorrow and Friday before we get into the playoffs. It's a round-robin format, two pools split, a little bit different than we used to seeing at the Tankard. But right now we bring on Ian Mendez of The Athletic. He has penned a piece on The Athletic, which is what could happen next for the National Hockey League in regards to the four players charged with sexual assault that are currently in the NHL, the other being Alex Formanton, uh, who is playing now in Europe from the 2018 World Junior Team. And Ian, there's been different players, Jake Vertanen, Slava Voinov, others who have been charged, but it's been handled differently depending on each case. So how do you think the NHL will react now that charges are laid with that news conference coming on Monday from London Police? Yeah, and now we know that those four guys have been charged, right? Because on, on Tuesday, their lawyers gave us statements, uh, you know, Carter Hart and, and McLeod and Foote and Dylan Dubé, they confirmed that, yeah, our, our clients have been charged and it relates to 2018. So now we know. Like, now no more speculation and we know. Um, you know, my guess would be, you know, the collective bargaining agreement, Jamie, it allows Gary Bettman to basically suspend players. If, they, if he doesn't suspend them, it would create a risk of harm to the interest and reputation of the league. And so as you look at this on balance, given the potential severity of the charges that are coming on Monday, and we'll know better on Monday, but given everything that we know, um, I think it's fair to suggest that, that allowing these players to continue playing while this cloud of suspicion is over them might represent that material uh, risk and harm to the league's reputation. How hard will that be in, I know the the criminal justice system is innocent until proven guilty. Uh, The court of public opinion is quite uh, opposite, and uh, that's where you sell tickets and and win over fans is uh, public opinion. But especially in a case that, you know, there's rumblings that this might not hit the courts for another two years. That's kind of my guess, Jamie, in talking to some people, uh, talking to lawyers in the last few days. There's like a, I guess the best way to phrase this is a pandemic-related backlog in the judicial judicial system in, and I'm sure this is in Saskatchewan too, but certainly in Ontario and all across Canada, that these cases got backlogged, right? Everything had to switch to virtual and everything. Anyway, my understanding on this is there is a, once they're charged, they basically, there's 30 months uh, to get this done. And if, if it goes past 
30 months, then basically there's an opportunity that, hey, this never got to court. It just it timed out, and that's that. I would suspect, given the public nature of this case and the interest in this case, that a judge somewhere, and I'm not saying they'll prioritize it over anything else, but I think the idea of the clock running out on this and going past 30 months, I think there would just be too much outrage. And I think if, if the court were to balance all of the facts, I think they would understand that they need to get this to a, a trial if it gets that far. So that's my guess. But yeah, I, I, I agree with the, the people that suggest that this is going to take 18 to 24 months to actually get to a, like a court case, like a, like a, like a hearing in the trial. I think that's a reasonable timeline in, in talking to some lawyers. So this is, this is not something that's going to be imminent. You know, Monday in, in London, Ontario, they're going to announce the exact charges. And then it's going to be, you know, there's, there's disclosures, there's pretrial hearings, there's, you know, all these things that go on. But we're talking about months and months, like 18, 20, 24 months before we get to that, that, that trial is my guess. Ian Mendez joining us of The Athletic, uh, pondering the next steps here with the four NHL players and Alex Formanton, who's now playing in Europe, but Ottawa Senators' uh, property, uh, who are now uh, charged, as we found out over the last few days uh, through their lawyers, with sexual assault from 2018. What has flipped in this case? Uh, to get to the point where there are charges being laid, London police originally investigated it, uh, didn't see... You know enough evidence, or however they made their decision. Uh, Hockey Canada makes a payment, uh, almost you know hush money uh, earlier, which had a huge uh, furor. So, what has developed? Where has the evidence been gathered uh, to now be at a stage where we're facing a court hearing in months or years? Yeah, and that's the question that we're going to ask to the London Police Department on Monday. What changed? Uh, and I think they're going to have to answer for that. Uh, they're going to have to answer why in 2018 did the, uh, the complainants' uh, concerns not rise to the level that they felt comfortable charging uh, the, the, the parties involved and what changed in the time since. And, and it's a fair question. And, and I think, listen, the London Police Department, for, for people who may not be aware, uh, they have been under an, an intense amount of scrutiny over the years for their failure to handle sexual assault cases properly. And so um, I think they understand that the heat is going to be on them on Monday. Uh, I think they understand that they, um, they're going to have to answer some stuff. And I think partially, Jamie, that's why it took this long. I, it, like When they reopened this case in uh, the latter part of 2022, um, I think there were a lot of people who thought, okay, well, this will take six weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. I think it ended up being about, whatever, 13 months. Um, and I think that's a function of the police department saying, we have to get this right. And, and it, what's disappointing is you, you think to yourself, well, shouldn't that be uh, the objective every time, right? Shouldn't it always be the objective on every case? Um, but this one came with a high degree of public scrutiny, a high degree of public interest, and, um, you know, I think we're going to have to ask that question on Monday. Why? Why, why now and not why in, uh, you know, why not in 2018? The Ian Mendez joining us of The Athletic here on the Green Zone. I'm going to stick around. I have more, some more questions, including his reaction to that 
mental health excuse from the uh, Calgary Flames regarding Dylan Dubé coming up on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm Jamie Nye. We're joined right now by Ian Mendez of The Athletic. Uh, wrote a great piece on next steps possible for the NHL on what will happen to the four players now charged with sexual assault that are currently employed in the National Hockey League. Of course, the fifth, Alex uh, Formanton, uh, plays in Europe. But, Ian, this it's all-star break. Gary Bettman's going to be in Toronto. He's going to face some tough questions because there's a huge wide range of reaction to this. There's let them play, um, per innocent till proven guilty. They should be on the ice. And then on the other side, there's get rid of them. Cut them. What do you expect to hear from Gary this week in Toronto? Yeah. It, it, like, look, Gary Batman, uh, I don't think, if I had to guess, I don't, like, knowing Gary, I don't see him shying away from the press on the weekend. It's the All-Star game. He generally does a kind of state of the union. I mean, if he didn't do it, he would open himself up to criticism. But I don't know that he will give any satisfactory answers until after Monday. And, and that's, again, when the London Police Department will hold their press conference, announce publicly what the charges are. And I think at that point, Jamie, that's when maybe the commissioner will be a little bit more uh, decisive, a little bit more forthcoming. Uh, you know, he, he has often said it, and I remember asking, we asked him in Sweden in November about Hockey Canada, and the answer was, you know, it's an ongoing investigation, and we're reaching its conclusion. And, and I think there's always been a hesitation from the NHL, I think, to release it, their own findings on this. And same with Hockey Canada. We, like, just so the listeners understand, and, and just the greater context here, because I think this is important. There have been three sort of, and we'll call them concurrent investigations, going on to, into what happened in London, allegedly in that hotel room in 2018. There is the obvious London Police Department investigation. There's the Hockey Canada investigation. And there's the NHL investigation. And I think that those latter two investigations, the NHL and the Hockey Canada, are real hesitant to release their findings, Jamie, because what if they differ from what the London Police Department put out. And I think, to be honest, the London Police Department, that's the one that matters. That's the one that has a criminal element to it. That's the sort of the highest burden of, of proof, so to speak. And so for the NHL or Hockey Canada to come out and make some sort of definitive statement or release some findings of an investigation, and then shortly thereafter have it uh, you know, maybe run in direct contrast to what the London Police Department found, I think would be erroneous it would be a misstep so why not just wait so i i'd be shocked if gary says anything uh that would be construed as sort of uh, you know really opinionated on this on the weekend despite the way that the news cycle is gone i think after monday when the charges are laid there is an opportunity and i want to point out again the commissioner does have the power to suspend players um, now, I, I believe it would be suspended with pay, but suspend the player if he feels that there's a material harm to the reputation of the league if these players take to the ice. And, and we'll see what the nature of those charges are on Monday, and we'll see if, if Gary thinks that that's too much of a risk to have those players uh, playing in his league. It would be very much like the NFL's uh, commissioner's exempt list uh, that yeah. we've seen play out over the last few years with various charges of their players where they get paid, but they're not on the field 
or around the uh, organizations until things are cleared up. But uh, finally, Ian, and you know, last night I went on a rant about the press release from the Flames on Dylan Dubé. They sent out another release saying we actually didn't know anything about it. That's why we cited mental health. And going forward, um, somebody was lying, either the Flames or Dylan Dubé. Uh, how how have you looked at how the Flames, the only team, all the other teams said personal matter, and that was yeah. that. The Flames cited mental health. You know, and I think, Jamie, uh, uh, like, I think that the, the, the backlash with the Flames, it kind of comes because of uh, Oliver Shillington, right, who, who, who just came back from mental health leave with that organization. And I think all of us in the media and the fans, we were really proud of that young man for stepping out and saying, I'm not right, I need to take some time away for my mental health. And so when the same explanation comes out for Dylan Dubé, uh, you know, there, there's going to be some, some questions raised. Like, 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 I find it hard to believe that the, like, a lot of us could have put two and two together when that, you know, and again, it's all speculation, but now it's been proven. But it's hard to think the Flames couldn't have put two and two together. And, like, why not just say he's on leave? Like, like you said, like Carter Hart, Cal Foot. Mikey McLeod, like all those guys, it was just, hey, they granted, they requested a leave of absence, and they got it. Um, I think because of the Flames and because of Shillington, it just, it's a misstep. And, but of all, like, and I guess here's what I want to say, though. Of all the things that we've seen that have happened in and around Hockey Canada, the wording of a Calgary Flames press release should be about the 56th thing on our list of things that we should be upset about. Well, Ian, thank you very much uh, for your time, and I know we'll uh, be checking back again as these stories develop over uh, the next week, the next months, and potentially years. Thanks so much. Yeah, Jamie, always a pleasure to join your show. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. That is Ian Mendez of The Athletic out of Ottawa, and yes, Monday is the news conference uh, with the London Police Department. And of course, uh, here on the Green Zone, Lisa Schick is still working as the recommendations uh, coming in today on the uh, inquest uh, in the James Smith Cree Nation tragedy and the lives lost there. Uh, We'll have the latest for you uh, from Lisa as the news comes in. Tomorrow, the Green Zone will be live at the Sastel Tankard at the Nutana Curling Club. Of course, regular hours, 2 to 6. Uh, the first draw tomorrow, 9 a.m. The second draw at 2. The evening draw starts at 7 o'clock as one of the favorites. The highest-ranked team in the field is Mike McCune, who joined uh, Colton Flash, who joined us yesterday on the Green Zone. They got off to a hot start with a 13-3 win. And... But it's a round robin. Usually, it used to be A, B, and C event. You'd qualify through the A to the one-two game. B was also the one-two game, and then two C qualifiers for what was the three-four game. And now it is winner of pool A versus pool B, and they shuffle on into the page playoff system into the weekend. And we'll have some guests on from the Nutana. Also, of course, as always, uh, with your top sporting news uh, here on the Green Zone, and one of the top stories today. That happened in golf. $3 billion deal for the PGA. And this comes from the Strategic Sports Group. And this is an entity that includes Fenway Sports Group that run 
the Boston Red Sox, the Pittsburgh Penguins. You also have other high-profile owners in sports of the Atlanta Falcons and the New York Mets and Steve Cohen and others. And Bob Weeks of TSN Golf Analyst joins us now. $3 billion deal, $1.5 billion now, maybe another $1.5 later. Bob, what does this mean for the PGA Tour? Well, I think the main thing, and a couple of players that I've been talking to today said, you know, the biggest thing is this is kind of a win for the PGA Tour, and they haven't had one for quite a while. They've been doing a lot of backpedaling. Uh, they've been a lot of standing around and watching people like Terrell Hatton and, and John Rahm and, and Adrian Morocco and all these people who were on the PGA Tour recently slide over to live. So to have someone come, and Mackenzie Hughes said to me, I says, you know, it's really nice when you have someone who wants to invest $3 billion in your company. And that's essentially what is going on here. And these are pretty savvy businessmen, as you pointed out. It's, it's the Fenway Sports Group, plus it's the owners of about another seven or eight different sports franchises. So they're not going to put up this kind of money without figuring out that they can probably get some kind of a return on their dollar. So um, I think the business side of this is going to be interesting to, to figure out. The players right now are going to get some equity, uh, depending on how long you've been on the tour, depending on how successful you've been on the tour will depend and depend uh, that'll determine excuse me how much equity you get um, other than that there's not a lot we know about how this deal is going to is going to go forward but it's a, it's a win for the PGA tour that's that's a positive sign how close are we if ever to having Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson and John Rom play the Pebble Beach Pro Am the waste management classic outside of the current uh, majors they're qualified to play in? I think we're still a ways. Uh, I think that there is still enough um, hard feelings, baggage, business reasons to keep Live Golf and the PGA Tour as separate entities. So I think at this point, the only time you're going to see those aforementioned Live players and PGA Tour players you know, go head-to-head is going to be at the major championships. That could change, but I, I, and I think players now are less worried about it, but I don't think you're going to be able to see people going back and forth. So the guy can't play a live tournament and then go play at Pebble Beach. It's got to be a, um, a joining of, of the forces. In other words, let's, let's have an amalgamation. Let's join the tours. Let's merge. And I don't see that anytime soon right now, just because of almost in, in because of the way the businesses are structured. I mean, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, which is funding Live, doesn't really want to have a a merger unless they control it. And I don't think the PGA Tour is going to allow that to happen on the other side as well. So there's still going to be some standoff here, but it'll be, let's say, just a little friendlier. Paul Weeks joining us, golf analyst of uh, TSN PGA, uh, lands a $3 billion deal with Strategic Sports Group. And, and also the PGA Tour is controlling this now for-profit company, correct? That's correct. They they have the final say, but I think there's going to be some loud voices in that boardroom from the other side as well. When you look at bringing in more investment, what will this mean to the players that have stayed on the PGA Tour? You mentioned Mackenzie Hughes, uh, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, etc. Well, I think I think what they want to see is you know a little bit of a wider spread of the money. So, you know, it's great if you're Rory McIlroy, you don't need another two or three billion or million, I should say, if you're going to get. But but if you are Mackenzie Hughes or if you are a guy, you know, a hundred and tenth on the 
on the FedEx Cup point list. You're not seeing that kind of a month, that kind of money that some of these top guys are getting. So there's a sense of, of, uh, of equity where you should be rewarded for a, just being on the PGA tour, which there is now players are all getting $500,000 to start. And then you, you draw off that as it were. Um, but I, I think right now it's it's a little bit of a wider spread. And, and so, look, we're all actors in this show is what the 110th guy is saying. You know, let's. I, I don't expect to get the same money as Rory, but I do expect to get some money and some benefits from being on this tour. How surprised are you of how far Rory has walked back where he was against Greg Norman 18 months ago to the point where he's like, yeah, we, we should allow the live players to play uh, with amnesty uh, and no retribution. You know, Rory's come a long way, and I think in, in the biggest thing that Rory has done really is just kind of wash his hands of being, hey, he sort of said, I, I don't want to be the front guy anymore. I don't want to be the guy, you know, who's talks at every press conference about this. I, I, I want to concentrate on my golf game. And so what I think he is saying is, let's, let's, we're not going to get rid of the public investment fund. They're not going anywhere. So we're better to work with them than against them. And if that means that we have to figure out a way for um, for everybody to, to play out the same tour on the same tournaments, maybe build it something like a Formula One scenario where you're playing one or two tournaments around the world in different spots. And, um, you know, I think that's kind of what he's saying. But I really get the impression that Rory's just sort of fed up and said, I, I don't want to be negotiating or dealing on that. You tell me where I'm going to play. You tell me where the check's coming. I want to, I want to focus on my golf. And I know Rory a little bit, and I think I think he felt a little bit left out of, of what was going on about all this. I think he felt a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe when, when the when the negotiation between PIF and the PGA Tour was announced last Canadian Open, that was maybe the final straw for him. So I just, I just think he's he's sort of settled, said, "What this is what's going to happen. I'm okay with it. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and play some golf." Well, it's hard. Some of his closest friends are you know, like jumping now too, like uh, Terrell Hatton, you know, making the move. And Live Golf, by the way, um, did release the rosters. And remember, Live Golf has teams. Um, for all those listening, they have teams of four, uh, from the High Flyers and the Fireballs to the Legion Thirteen, which is the thirteenth franchise being led by John Rom. But Bob, how impressive has Live uh, built up their roster of golfers? Yeah, I mean, listen, they've added John Rahm, they've added Tyrrell Hatton, those are top 25 golfers in the world, obviously John Rahm's the reigning Masters champion. The big problem is, like, who's going to watch? I, I don't know people, a lot of people anyway, who watch live golf on a regular basis. Now, I did have occasion uh, last month to play some golf with some folks from Australia, and they're, they're big lo- live golf fans because they don't have the PGA Tour coming to, to tournaments there. But there's still a lack of a television contract. There's still, I think, a lot of people who haven't bought into the team format. Um, there's still a lot of things when you do watch it that are confusing with the scoreboard and the, and the shotgun start. Um, now, maybe that'll just take time to sink in. But at, at this point, you know, there's no other sponsors that have really come on board of any significance. And there's no real major, at least North American, TV contract where people can watch this. So they're they're still struggling, even though they have all these players. Now maybe maybe this will be the year that they finally turn things around. But uh, the first two years have been, I would have to calculate them as a, as a disappointment. Uh, that was my next question for you: is uh, is this is it ever going to gain traction? It is new, 
You have to gain some traction. But do you see Liv ever gaining a major television deal or a streaming deal? Uh, with streaming content, I'm surprised we haven't seen a major streaming deal uh, come in for Live Golf. They're on the CW on cable and YouTube and other stuff. But do you do you ever see this Live Golf gaining traction in North America? Uh, you know, right now, I, I just don't think that there's enough appetite for a streaming company to to put forward any kind of money to do it. Um, that could change. Maybe it'll catch on with John Rom this year, but so far, really. You know, it's it's not super deep on talented talent. It's super deep on names. There are big names in there, but a lot of them and most of them, let's face it, are sort of packed their prime, the Hendrick Stensons and the Ian Poulters and, and players like that. Um, it's not to say that the PGA Tour doesn't have weak events, too. A couple of weeks ago, you know, they had uh, less, less than a star-studded tournament at the American Express uh, in, in the desert in California. So... I just think that there is so much uh, history behind the PGA Tour, so much almost reflex action where you know what's going on in the PGA Tour. If you're a golf fan, you know what tournaments are coming up. You know where you're going to watch it. It's either going to be on one channel or the other, and, and it's it's not hard to find. It's easy to find. And, yeah, maybe you don't recognize who Steven Yeager is or Nick Dunlap, the guys who've, who've been playing well lately, but but – you know, those things will come and, and you'll get into the, into the bigger events. Like we've got this week at Pebble beach with uh, 18 of the top 20 players in the world. So I think Liv still has an uphill battle to kind of uh, get, get into the, the, the reflex mind of the golf fan in certainly in Canada. And, and I think in North America, and Bob weeks of TSN here on the green zone, a golf analyst also does uh, some of the curling stuff at TSN. Any chance they're sending you to Regina for the briar, uh, Bob, we'd love to have you. <laughs> Actually, I'm actually, I'd love to be there, believe me. I will tell you, I'm going to make an appearance in your beautiful province, though it's uh, Curling Day in Canada show is going to be coming to you live from beautiful downtown Melfort. Uh, and I am an, uh, uh, a big city boy, so I'm looking forward to kind of spending a little time there. And um, we'll, we'll be there uh, a couple weeks, actually, the week of the Sky, finals of the Scott Tournament of Hearts, Scotty Tournament of Hearts. Uh, so that's the closest I'm going to get to the Briar this year. Uh, all righty. Uh, of course, uh, Bob, uh, uh, the last time I got to hang out with Bob was uh, the uh, Canadian Women's Open when Brooke Henderson won, which was a heck of a good time in Regina. But gl- glad you'll at least uh, grace the Saskatchewan with your presence uh, this winter during the curling season, Bob. <laughs> Always a pleasure, and hopefully we can uh, we can reconnect someday, somewhere uh, sometime very soon. That is Bob Weeks of TSN Golf and Curling Analyst. And, yeah, that's in uh, late February in Melfort for curling day in Canada, uh, in line with the uh, Scotties uh, Tournament of Hearts. But it's the tanker going on right now. Uh, the second draw up at 7 o'clock tonight at the Nutana. We'll be there live tomorrow on the Green Zone. Champs and Chumps next on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. You two are winners, big winners. I think you're shagadelic, baby. You're switched on. You're smashing. You tried your best, and you failed miserably. The only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning. You're an idiot. You're a bad person. Each and every day, one champ and one chump. I'm going to chump Dallas Mavericks head coach Jason Kidd. There's having your guys back as a player. And then there's just saying dumb stuff. Jason Kidd on Luka Doncic. 
He's better than Dirk. Talking about Dirk Nowitzki as the best Dallas Maverick ever. We can just end there if you want. He is in the atmosphere of Michael Jordan, LeBron, and Kobe. See, this I get it. You're the head coach. He's your player. You played against those guys, Jason Kidd. And yes, Luka Doncic, he's can do a lot of insane things. Scored 73 points the other day. But let's um, win a couple of championships first there before we uh, throw them in with LeBron and Kobe. And the best to ever do it, Michael Jordan. And the champ here on the green zone is uh, Alex Clark, uh, WHL official Saskatchewan ref is going to be highlighted at the NHL All-Star Weekend. She made history as the first female WHL lines person in 2021. Uh, Tomorrow night, you'll see her on the ice at the PWHL Showcase 3-on-3 tournament. Just another great achievement for young Alexandra Clark.